0: I've been asked many times, what do I think about code coverage and test coverage? I think it's because I talk about testing a lot. The truth is, I have a lot of thoughts about code coverage. I mean, a lot. So here's my chance. This episode is a train of thought brain dump on what I think about code coverage. We'll talk about how I use code coverage to help me write source code. What line coverage and branch coverage do for you? Behavior coverage? What that is? Using test tech ask and answer questions about the system under test, how to target coverage just to the code that you care about, how to exclude code from your coverage numbers, and good reasons and bad reasons to exclude code. And we also talk about the Pareto Principle, or the 80-20 rule, and the law of diminishing returns and how that applies or doesn't to test coverage. These are all my opinions, of course. If you disagree, I'm game for learning your perspective. Just contact me. This episode of Testing Code is brought to you by PyCharm. Save time, use PyCharm. And by listeners like you who support the show through Patreon. Welcome to Testing Code, because software engineering should include more testing. So let's talk a little bit about what code coverage and test coverage really is and what it means. What is coverage? What does 100% mean? So uh coverage.py is what we use in in Python for code coverage. Um other languages have their other tools of course. But um it is not it is it's a little deceptive to say 100% coverage because it's 100% of what? What does 100% mean? But let's specifically look into what coverage gives you. So if you run uh, either, uh, I user, usually use the pytest pytest cov plugin, which is bun- loads uh, coverage and runs coverage while pytest is running. So if you use that and direct it to a source, you have to give coverage a source directory uh, of where to where these source files are, and this says how much of this is covered. And what does covered mean? It means during the test run, it will look at uh, all of the files that get run all of the all of your source code files you can run it over test code files too i like to do that run it over both source and test and then it will uh, it'll show you what um, in the end it does not give you just one number there's like this one number there is a summary number for how much of your code is covered but that's the summary number isn't as interesting as the rest of it so it also looks at each absolutely every file it hits and shows you what the percentage is for those. And then what's more, you can use, there's generator reports for exactly which lines of code are hit during, it's which lines of code are hit during a test run and also which um, switches. So you can coverage.py will give you both lines of code coverage and also branch coverage. So I think it's good to turn both on because Branch coverage is uh, you want to be able to hit, hit all those. Here's an example of, uh, and sometimes it's not clear what that means. It, I mean, really, if you've got a hundred percent line coverage, won't, won't that mean that all your branches are hit? Well, not necessarily. So let's say an if statement. So if, if I say without an else, so if I say if X is true, then run some code and then I've got drop through code that runs no matter what. So, If I run that with true and x is true, it will um, it'll always it'll show that all lines of code are run. But in for branch coverage, the branch coverage will detect that we didn't test the case that x is possibly false. So we didn't test the the code path that shows uh, not running that line that extra chunk. So um, it's interesting and uh, it is useful. So I always run with uh, branch coverage turned on. Um, but that is not the only type. It's just the types we have to measure right now. We've got line line coverage and branch coverage. So why is this useful? It is, um, it's, it'd be lovely if it were to say, um, if we had, if we, during our test suite, we actually have ran every line of code and we've hit every switch statement and branch, we've taken all paths. Um, it's not all paths through the system, but it's at every branch point we've, we've hit each of those uh, different paths at one point during the testing. Um, it's useful, very useful for a dynamic language like Python that if there is actual, like, invalid code in parts of your code that aren't run, you're not going to know it if it's not run. It, it's, it's possible for invalid code to exist. As long as it doesn't run, it won't cause an assert or cause any problems. But you don't want code like that. All right. So, especially in Python, but in every language, code coverage metrics are useful. Um, I use, I like to use them, and and I have warmed to them. So my first reaction to code coverage was that um, it's a silly number. There's always going to be like I'm used to coming from the sea land. Uh, there's in switch statements. There's often the default at the end that says I'll never get here. So that's like the corner case to say um, that, that, you know, assert statement that says assert should never get here. Why do we need, we're always going to have things like that. So it's possible, it's, it's, you're never going to get to 100% coverage unless you write stupid code that can try to get to there. But, you know, you have to like mock something or try to, uh, try to do something weird. Okay. So that, that argument is there. Um, but let's counter it if if nobody were to tell you you have to hit a certain number if you're just using this for a useful tool to help you with software development and that's how i use it well how is it useful so i'm going to describe like a day in the life of me so i'm writing some code i'm looking at like not the whole system but i'm looking at the code that i'm writing and i'm writing some tests also so i've got code to implement some fun- some functionality and i've got I'm going to have tests that try to exercise that. I'm intentionally writing code that I want to be run at a t- and I have I want it to be run by the tests that are hitting it. So I can I can target just this file and say run coverage on just this file and run it from this set of tests that I'm working on. So that's a useful way to use coverage to say hey, just right now run these tests and I want to make sure I hit this file. Um, and then you can, once it's done, it's not just whether or not that file is a hundred percent or not, or 80% or 90%. It's the specific lines and branches in the file that I'm working on. And if I'm writing a test that really should exercise, that's exercising an error condition, let's say, or exercising a certain corner case, or even just the main case, and that case really isn't getting hit by my, um, by the test, there's something wrong and coverage analysis is a very useful thing to be able to tell me, yes, that's uh, that's not getting hit yet. Um, there's something wrong with my test. There, were, there was an old adage um, you know, a long time ago with an early test-driven development is one of the things you do is you write the test first before you write the code to make sure that your test is actually hitting your code and not just no-ops. Okay, well, that's a nice idea, um, but I'm often writing my source code first or writing tests to cover existing source code, and um, it's good to see uh, you don't have to write the test to fail the first time. You can watch the test hit your source code, and coverage is extremely useful. Okay, so on that s- specific file, on the function I'm working on, I'm gonna I want all of it covered because I'm writing tests for it. Um, I also, it is interesting to see if I write um, the the part. To parts that aren't covered, to think about, do I need a test for those parts of the code that are not covered? It isn't that I'm trying to hit, artificially hit 100%. I don't do that. But I do every time I don't have some code that's getting hit by the test suite, I think, is this a test case that really needs to be, that's important to be supported and it's important for somebody to have it work? Then I should write a test case for it. There is a possibility that it's just over engineered code. There's a lot of dead code in software. And I believe it's a reasonable place to ask also ask the question, not just should I write another test to cover this chunk of code? It's is this chunk of code actually not even reachable? If I if I've got other safeguards in place to make sure that this code is never reachable, then well one, I could possibly use a do a more focused unit test if I really wanted to get that covered. But it might indicate that I can just remove that chunk of code um, and it won't change anything. Uh, that brings up another case that I wanted to talk about is the level of coverage testing. So I think that I often, um, if you've listened to me for a while, you know that you, you understand this. But for new people, I don't think in terms of the normal test pyramid I think in terms of as broad of a brush as I can get. So I don't usually write tests for a user interface or through a GUI or through a website or something, web front end. I will go through an API, but I'll go as high high of an API, as close to a user interface as I can. And then I will try to test the whole system and I'm trying to pinpoint features. So I try to teach, I think of a unit test as, feature test. Now I know that most of the world thinks of a unit test as testing just a little function. So I just try to avoid using the term unit test because I learned it wrong apparently. So I'm a focus on feature tests. And I focus on that because I'm looking I'm looking to satisfy the requirement of whatever the software needs to do for the customer or for the end user. Now that doesn't mean to say I don't ever write small unit tests. I do, or focused subsystem tests. Of course, those are yes necessary, and those are very useful, especially for algorithmic sections where you, you've got a whole bunch of different corner cases, and um, and you really want, there's a whole, okay, I'll get to this later, but there's a whole bunch of reasons why you want to over-engineer some, some sections of the code. Maybe not over-engineer it, but really well-engineer it to make sure that it, it behaves appropriately, even for the future. Most of the time, you're going to want to follow YAGNI and don't over-engineer stuff just because you might need it in the future. But there's cases. There's uh, different algorithmic cases where you're uh, designing uh, a an algorithm that's similar to lots of things on, off the shelf, and it would be weird for you to not test corner cases. Um, so may as well. You can also, um, for really, really important mission-critical parts of your system, making that part bulletproof to have lots of error checking to make sure that like you know negative numbers aren't passed in where they're not supposed to be che- checking for ranges and all that sort of stuff that's great for certain parts of your code and and, and that's a great place to put unit tests or, or subsystem tests to really focus to make sure that those corner cases are really being handled also if you're going to use a chunk of code in more than one project then the requirements of both projects and you don't know how those are going to change be thorough but in general, I do broad brush tests if possible. So if I'm running broad brush tests and then some focus tests are in the mix, I'm going to run the whole thing and run coverage numbers on all of them. Now, with continuous integration systems, it makes it a lot easier because I can combine coverage reports. That's one of the things that that, uh, that is covered by coverage.py allows you to uh, combine reports so I can run a whole bunch of, like let's say I've got... Uh, uh, a focus suite that I'm running all the time. It's not going to be 100% coverage possibly, um, but it's a smoke test that's really quick. Um, but maybe it's like 85% coverage or 90% coverage, but some of the corner cases take a lot some, some of the different corner cases, maybe they take longer and I only want to run them during continuous integration. That's fine. I also might have operating system specific code that I'm running on a Mac and, and, and uh, there's Windows stuff in there too. I'm not going to run that all the time while I'm developing my code, but I'll run it in CI and then I'll combine the the Mac and the Unix and the, the Windows uh, coverage numbers together to look at the report as a whole in the CI system. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. I love running my tests right from PyCharm. There are many ways to run the tests and I use lots of them. And every one of those also has an option to run the tests with the debugger, or with the profiler, or with coverage. Run with coverage, and now there are a percentage of lines covered listed in the project tree right next to the file names. Select a file with low coverage, for instance, and visually you see exactly which lines are covered and which ones are not. by colors in the gutter alongside the code. Coverage and PyTerm, two tools I use all the time, work great together. Awesome running with the profiler or with code coverage are part of PyCharm Pro and is one of the reasons why I use PyCharm Pro. Not the only reason to grab Pro, but it is super cool. Try it yourself by visiting testandcode.com slash PyCharm. There, you can try PyCharm Pro free for four months and see for yourself if coverage in your editor saves you time. I think it will. Let's assume that there's, um, I'm going to help, I'm going to work on uh, open source project, maybe. And, uh, there's like an open source project that I'm using and I want it to have like a new feature or there's a bug that I found. I want to help fix that. Um, now let's say I've got a, like, a, an some chunk of code and I want to like, I know it's going to involve changing some code, but before I do that, I'm going to run my, run the test tool and I'm going to run it with uh, coverage turned on. Why am I going to do that? I want to make sure that I understand all the tests that pass or fail before I touch the code. So as I found it, hopefully everything's green. If it's not green, if some of the some of the tests are failing, I need to understand, did I configure it wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Because I really want only the failures to, as I'm developing, I want the failures to be my fault, not somebody else's fault. And odds are they're my fault anyway, but I want it to be coding errors, not uh you know, uh, just misconfiguration errors. So, okay, so now let's say we've got it all green. And then I want to modify some code. Hopefully that code is already covered because if it doesn't have any test for coverage for it, that's an issue. I don't know if I'm breaking something. So now just having a test that hits it doesn't mean that it's going to, that that your test suite is perfect. Of course, um, your test suite still has to be a good test suite. It has to, Actually, answer, ask, and answer questions about the software. Um, an example of a bad test suite is something with no asserts in it and no way to fail. If you can, you can exercise, especially with unit tests. You can exercise a huge amount of your system with no asserts in it. So please remember that, and uh, you know, look for that in code reviews. If somebody writes a test that doesn't assert anything, it's just these aren't necessarily terrible tests. How can it fail? There's no asserts. It can fail if your system crashes. So, or if your your code under test throws an exception, that will fail the system. That's a reasonable kind of test, but most of my tests are testing for functionality. So they're going to look for the correct output, the correct behavior or something. So let's say I'm working on an open source project, this open source project that I, I like want to fix something on let's pretend it already has 100% coverage and the tests are pretty good. I've looked at them and they look they look reasonable. So I can, let's say maybe if I'm doing tests first, I can write the behavior I want to have happen. I can write a test around that maybe, but realistically, I'm probably going to go muck, muck with the code and play with it. And, uh, and then I want to run the test to make sure that I didn't break anything, but I also am probably going to write a new test to cover the new behavior that i'm doing or the modified behavior or to highlight the defect that i that i found and then hopefully fix the defect it's a great way to run tests or write tests is write write your defect defect finding test this is very i wish it was less common i do a lot of that i i talked a little bit about my tests. i wanting my test to um to give me information so what um I want I want to ask questions about the software. Does it behave like this? Does it throw this exception when when I do something weird? Um, if I throw, ask for an index that I know isn't going to be there. Is the correct exception going to be thrown, or is it supposed to return none? Um, those sorts of behavior about my system. Those are uh, those are questions. And if I questions in the tests can answer whether or not. It's due to the behavior of the system is correct, or at least as you expected it to be when you wrote the tests. That's one of the great things about having tests that focus on the behavior of a system and not its implementation is that that behavior is defined with the tests. Is all the behavior defined? Well, that's where we would call like behavior coverage. If all of the 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 behavior of how the system is supposed to behave under different circumstances and different starting states and everything, how is it? What ending state? If you do an action, what's the end state supposed to be? Are all the exceptions checked? Are all the features that you have tested thoroughly? Are you testing all the flags? Are you testing all the uh, options of the flags? Are you doing weird? Trying to test weird things in background like. Doing things out of order in an unexpected way; those sorts of behavior descriptions are things your test can help you see about your code. Now, we could think of a hypothetical behavior coverage: have I covered all of the behavior of the system? We don't have a tool to measure that because it's to define what your full behavior of your code is. Is like it's all of your code. Uh, it would be I anyway of course i couldn't write a uh, i have no idea how to write like a line coverage or branch coverage tool so maybe it does exist or could exist to have a behavior coverage tool i just don't know uh, it seems like it would be impossible so these are judgment calls so we're going to trying to uh test all of the behavior of the system and roughly approximate it with um with code inspection of our tests and also uh just uh, code coverage and branch coverage help us get there. we have got a few small open source projects. I do try to get 100% coverage on there. There's a there's a few reasons around that. Um, it's not just because I want the little 100% coverage badge. It's uh, it helps in several ways. If somebody else is going to contribute to the project, it helps me determine whether or not they've written tests for their for their uh, for the code that they added. Now, if they've—that's an easy way to say, "Hey, you need—is you haven't—if the coverage is dropped, or if their code really isn't covered at all—that's um, easy to tell from coverage numbers. It's really easy if we've already gotten 100% coverage on everything to be able to see a difference. So, like, let's say I've got a, a, a some a project that's 89% covered. Seems reasonably good, right? Except for if somebody makes a change and we've gotten to 87.2% coverage, 88.3, is that good enough? Why was 89 good enough, but not 87? Um, Kind of have to defend that. And you can put a stake in the ground and say, well, nope, it's 89. I've got 89 coverage. I don't want to go below that. You can do that, but it's a lot weirder than saying I've already defined what code I want covered. Now, when I say what code I want covered, coverage.py has, um, you've got a c- configuration that you can set. So you can say, in, in your configuration, you can say, these are the line, these are the source files that need to be covered, defining it there. You can also exclude within there, exclude certain parts of files if you want to. I prefer to specify which files I'm gonna cover exclude files if I need to. So there's it's a possibility that you've got uh some vendored code for instance, maybe that you've pulled in from a different project. It doesn't make sense to pull it apart, but you're not responsible for it. So it doesn't make sense for you to check those coverage numbers. You're already going to check to make sure that the behavior of using this code is going to be working, but you're not responsible for that code. Now I we could talk we should probably should talk about vendoring code on a different episode, but that's a pretty big topic, but it's essentially, instead of importing a third party package, you drop the source code for the package into your code. Um, not recommended most of the time, but in a lot of, uh, projects within companies that happens frequently, you've got, um, multiple projects that use a shared chunk of code that, uh, just gets dropped in. Um, Good or bad, it is. It exists. And it doesn't really help you to say, well, I don't have tests around this, so um," I just wouldn't do that. I would probably exclude exclude that code. I excluded one line. You can also, within coverage, you can uh, do pragmas. You can say uh, pragma no cover within a a hash comment block uh, on the line or at least on the branch area. And I'm going to give an example of something where I just did. So I'm working on a project that had, um, uh, had a database setting to where, where, where it picked up where the database directory was. Now, most of the time it went through like, a, when I'm just using it on the command line, I use it all the time. Um, it pulls, it pulls it off of my home directory. So it uses, uh, uh, path lib, path home to find out where the home directory is during testing. I don't want it to pull the database out of the home directory. I want it to point at a temporary file or temporary directory. So I've got some some code in place. Yes, I did modify the source code to make it more testable. I allowed it to have the feature of uh, being able to look up the paths in, as an environmental variable. I considered having just a test function or test API to be able to just change that directory uh, during testing. But I thought about if I if I need it for testing, it's possible that a user might need it need me need that behavior outside. And what would be a useful thing? Now, um, a configuration file might work. Um, I could have like a, a user could have a configuration file or a dot file in their home directory. Another thing that isn't that uncommon is to have an environmental variable that is set. Um, I chose that path that that way to do things just to set a, a environmental variable with a, a long envir- name that is very specific to this application. Uh, so during, during the testing, I, uh, set that, um, set that environmental variable using monkey, the, uh, monkey patch fixture within PyTest. test. We could talk about that on another episode too, but it's basically a way to set your set environmental variables for a chunk of test code. So, um, set that to the directory of a temporary directory that I'm generating, and, uh, and then run the code. So then when, my, um, when the code under test looks for where, where the d- database is, it says, oh, there's an environmental variable set, so I'll use that instead of the home directory. So that little bit of code that uses that instead of the home directory, it's using that for all the testing. It's not using the home directory. So that one line of code is not being tested. That line where it says use the home and home directory instead. I'm okay with that because I'm using it all the time. I'm dog fooding it as well, this application. And I know that the home directory thing works because I'm using it all the time. I could, if I wasn't using it all the time, like let's say there was a, a windows version of it that didn't, didn't, that worked different. Um, well, I could, uh, I probably would try to f- write a test so that it it, it was tested more often. So the, so that's one of the reasons why, so one reason why uh, I wouldn't test something, a line of code is to say, is this, I'm dogfooding it anyway, or it's being tested some other way. I'm confident that it, this line of code isn't going to break because of other measures in place. So I'm okay with like pragmating that out and saying we don't need to cover that. So what does that do? If you exclude files or exclude stuff, you're focusing and you're telling the the coverage tool, this is exactly what a, the source code that I care about. This is what I want my tests to cover. So it isn't, even though I say I've got 100% coverage, it's 100% coverage of the files I care about. And that's important. What are some other chunks of code? There's uh, if name equals main uh, pieces that... Um, Sometimes in different modules or different things, somebody's like throwing a if name equals main. So when it's imported, like it normally is by the rest of the system, it's, that doesn't get hit. But in uh, uh, if you run the, the file on the command line, you get some behavior, like maybe some little uh, debug functions that you're ch- checking things out. Um, well, personally... I really look at those and go, by the time I'm at the point where I'm trying to ship or test something for real and share it with others, do I really want that in there? Maybe just delete it. Um, However, if it is useful to be there and you don't, and you don't really, it's not a customer feature to be able to run that by itself, I would pragma those out. Um, I don't think I'd need to cover those. There's hard to test things. Be careful with the hard to test part though. For instance, if I've got multiple operating systems on there, I don't think that's a good way reason to not test something because you're not developing on the operating system. Because uh, as we've seen before, half of the Python users in the world are running windows or more than half probably, but a big chunk of the developers are running either Linux or max. Um, so be careful with that. Just, uh, if, if it's important for you to support a different operating system, it's important for you to test it. The, those I would use uh, continuous integration. Make sure that you've got test coverage, at least for those portions that get run on every operating system and then combine the coverage uh, with, uh, there's different tutorials online on how to combine that. What are some other reasons? Uh, hard to test, um, because it's a weird corner case that the, you can never hit. Really, you can never hit it? Um, if you can really never hit it from the outside world, can you delete that case? I mean, can can you maybe just take that code out of your system? Uh, if you've convinced yourself that you can't because of various reasons, could you write a unit test for it? But, you know, I generally would... Uh, is the, if, if you can write a unit test or a subsystem test for it and it's a reasonable part of the... Part of that code that you really want to keep around for some reason, you can go that route. Um, I would, I would really lean towards trying to get rid of the code though, um, or write a system test to exercise it. I've seen chunks of code though that you can't hit from the outside world. There's no way from the system level to set a set of input so that it, like for instance, uh, the bulletproof concept. So if you've got code that like makes sure checks all of its input all of the parameters that come in and make sure they're all valid. And and uh, there's a bunch of if statements at the top and ranges and whatever. Um, this is defensive programming and it used to be taught a lot. I don't know if it still is. Um, that's great for stuff that you don't know who's going to use it. Like for APIs or external APIs, be very defensive on external APIs. Go for it. Yay. But internal stuff that's just a little tool that you're using a helper function or something within your code, do you really need to be that defensive? If if this part of the code can never get hit with a negative number, maybe you don't need to check with, with it. I think it's perfectly fine to throw tests around it and say, um, uh, yeah, just throw tests around it and say, uh, well, what can I hit negative numbers into here? And if you can't, um, you know, if it's, if it's being guarded by other parts of your system, you could, I would argue to simplify your system and don't put error checking through everything error checking in all of your code just makes it more code and it makes it more brittle. And it makes it, um, I don't know. I don't like that, but it's a design pattern for your choice. If you're going to write bulletproof code in all levels, then you've got to write tests at all levels. That's you should anyway. Um, because if you've got those, those, uh, those weird errors that like you don't think it'll ever happen. Are you sure that logic's correct? Because if you've got the, uh, less than or equal, or the greater than equal, or something a little bit wrong off by one, it really wasn't greater than equal, it was greater than instead, uh, you got to make sure of that. Speaking of that, how do you, when I was talking about um, really trying to hit behavior coverage, uh, this could be a whole episode in itself, but I use a whole bunch of different tools for trying to hit behavior coverage. So and I guess I personally say, instead of trying to hit code coverage numbers right away, I try to mentally hit behavior coverage. And then at the end, after I've, I think I've hidden mentally hundred percent behavior coverage, um, is, am I really hitting everything? And did I forget something? So, uh, behavior coverage tools, I do boundary value analysis, what the inputs of different, uh, features, um, am I doing, uh, hitting all of the different, uh, different values that can go into, to, to, input for there. Um, thinking about given when then, uh, as a system level and a system level of the features, what if, if I have an action that I'm testing, uh, the behavior of what are the given states, what are the different states that I can start in and are they all defined? Uh, that's a, seems like a weird thing, but like, let's say if you turn the keys to turn on a car, um, what happens if the car's already on? I mean, if it's off, you should be able to get the car to turn on, but the state there's the beginning state is really important. If it's already on, what happens? Uh, if it's out of gas, what happens? Uh, if, if it's the wrong key, what happens? I mean, there's a whole bunch of different beginning states. So trying to hit all the beginning states, what are the, all the end states? Um, is it possible for me to hit all of those end states, uh, trying to get tests around those? So that's a, using boundary value analysis along with given, when, then, uh, I think mental finite state machines, or even written down like pencil and paper state machines or state transition tables are really a great thing to say, um, list all the, all the beginning states, all the transitions that can happen. Can we get from from a to B? Can we hit all that map with our tests? And then all the error conditions that you have in your system, are they reasonable? Uh, what are the user error conditions? Um, I mentioned this before, but like index out of range, uh, I was just noticing a little tool I've uh, that doesn't handle things very well. I get huge tracebacks, uh, if I throw in invalid data and, um, I got to fix that. Um, that's one of the reasons why dog fooding is important as well. So after I've all got all that, trying to get coverage up is great. So how do you get coverage up? Well, try to do behavior coverage, for instance. Will help you with uh, code coverage as well, and then looking at it to say, you know, uh, can I narrow the scope? If this code really isn't mine, it's not our team's. Um, why is it there? If there's a reason for it to be there, but there's no, I'm not even allowed to touch it. What's the point in covering it? Um, or maybe that's a good reason to cover it, but it's something. It's a decision point. At least there is a a discussion there. Is, ha- When you talk about code coverage, there's often a discussion about the 80-20 rule, the Pareto rule, or the law of diminishing returns. So here's the idea around all of that. So, and I'm going to massacre all these ideas. So my apologies ahead of time. So um, Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule essentially is uh, 20% of your effort of anything produces 80% of the results. And people abuse that for all sorts of stuff and use it because it's handy. But let's say I've got, If I've got zero coverage, if I do a hypothetical amount of work would have done 100% coverage. If I do 20% of that hypothetical total amount of work, I can bring the coverage numbers up to 80%. That's pretty cool. Does that apply again? So if I spend the double the time, that's the 40% of the hypothetical time. Did I get 80% of the remaining 20%? Um, and does it keep happening? So no matter how much time I spend trying to write tests to cover my code, I'll never quite get to, uh, a hundred percent. Um, well that's silly. Uh, one, um, we can't infinitely divide our lines of code. At some point you've got lines of code. The other thing is, uh, you know, decide what you're going to cover and decide like, once you get to, uh, Different numbers, eighty percent, ninety percent. I don't know what it is. Um, look at that. Now, I did mention that it's not just one number as well, right? I hope I did. There isn't no, there isn't really eighty percent or ninety percent coverage. Um, well, there is a hundred percent. If you've got a hundred percent covered, it's all hundred percent covered. Um, doesn't mean you have complete testing. It means you're hitting every line of code. However, um, if, under that, like let's say your average is eighty percent. You don't just get one 80% number. You get um, percentages for every single file. And then you've got a way to look. So coverage itself will show you HTML output to, you can visualize it and open up in a web browser and look at all your code with the, which lines are covered or not. Uh, Or within an editor, you can look at um, like PyCharm or something. You can look at which lines are covered and which ones are not. Um, And which files. So you're going to look at all the files. So let's say you've got, Uh, the code that you're working on, you kind of want that to not go down, right? So um, if it's already at 80% coverage before you start writing your tests and it doesn't increase, what are you testing? Um, If you're not covering the code that the, it's not just a percentage though, it's also specifically which lines. And you should be thinking about that when you're writing tests for your code. Is, Is the test hitting your code? If it's not in coverage can help you determine that. So, um the percentages are nice. Uh in a broad sense also, if you're looking at a project and um and like you can look at all the files and they're all, you know, within the 80 or, or you know, within like 90 to 100 everywhere, except for like two or three files are down at like 10% coverage. What's going on there? What what what, what what's all that other stuff? Now, I have definitely seen files like this where I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like 30% coverage in this file. What's going on there? And it turns out there's a whole bunch of junk in there. There's a whole bunch of functions that aren't being called by anything. Um, They're just not used anymore, right? Somebody's, you know, I'm I'm sure you've done this. I've done it. Uh, You write a function, uh, you're trying it out, and it uh, doesn't quite work right. Or more specifically, I want to rewrite a function. I'm like taking... I like re change the name of a function to be like, you know, foo old and uh, you know, foo new or something, or just foo and foo old. And uh, the new function I'm trying to slowly modify it. And I'm, I'm a dork and not using version control to keep the old one. I've got an older copy in the file and then I forget to delete it. It's just there. Um, Well, that's, that's a, uh, it's never going to get run. And So some of these low numbers might indicate that you can clean up your code. So it'd be great to clean those things up. If they're not getting hit by anybody, uh, clean them up. I would not write it like, well, I can write a unit test to hit that old function. Yes, you can, but then you'll never know when you can delete it. So don't do that. Um, Gosh, I know I had a whole bunch of stuff I wanted to cover, but I think I'm in a (laughs) coverage of the coverage topic. Nice. Um, But I think I'm running a little long and i would love to hear back from you what is uh, how do you treat code coverage um, are you trying to get 100% uh, i guess the last the uh, last thing i want to make sure that i cover cover with coverage topic is um, it's best driven by the software developers themselves having a manager say thou shalt have 100% coverage or 98 or 96% coverage is obviously silly because we're developers and we're smart enough to be able to, uh, write a whole bunch of tests that don't actually assert anything and hit hundred percent coverage right away. Um, and, uh, we can zoom in and do unit tests, um, as well and hit those. I wouldn't do that. Uh, so don't, uh, but you know, be careful of mandated numbers, but also be weary of uh, numbers that are low. Um, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up is the this, I had this idea that, for a while that possibly, uh, open source projects really should be at a hundred percent because it helps with new developers coming in real. And then I, after I, you know, said that once out loud, I thought, how is that different in a closed source project? How is that different in your code at work? Why, it, why would you not want to make it easier for a newcomer to come in and look at some, some, uh, look at your code and start contributing? it has got to be just as valid in, in closed source projects than it is in open source projects, isn't it? I think so. Um, but I'd like to hear what, what your uh, interaction with code coverage is, uh, what your rules of thumb are, if you've got some cool tools or some other ways, or if you have like a decent way to measure behavior coverage that I haven't thought about. And no, I do not want to measure coverage by using behavior, different driven development pickle or cucumber or gherkin or any other vegetable. You throw at it. Um, I'm not interested right now. Uh, maybe in the future. So, anyway, uh, that's all for today. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. Please check out their um, their link. And uh, I I really do think it'd be fun for you to try uh, PyCharm Pro and try out the. Uh, I mean, it, it's worth it when we're talking about coverage just to try running coverage with PyCharm Pro. It I find it handy. Maybe it's handy for you. And uh, with the link in the show notes, you can try uh, PyCharm Pro for a few months for free. So um, why not? That's all for now. Now go out and test something.